You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com, and available via podcast on DrLisa.org. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's program. It's not really the food on our plate that nurtures us, but the primary food around us, like what's going on with your relationships? Are you physically active? Do you have a spiritual life? So those are really the primary foods that feed us. So I think that's especially important during the holidays where we tend to get a little stressed, maybe a little overworked, doing too much. I mean, my father said it to me growing up, when I was living out in Colorado, and he came and he said, oh, it's really beautiful out here. You must love the mountains. I said, I do. And he goes, what are you going to do? Because you're born in the mid-coast. You're never going to be able to leave. And I said, yes, I will. And then I found myself back there and with this kind of thing where I'm, every day I'm like, he was so right. He was so right. I'm not going to be able to leave this area. If you've ever been in the situation where you don't know where the next meal is coming from, trust me, you can think of nothing else. Nothing else. It, it is survival. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard and Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial. Welcome to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast for November 20th. Thank you for joining us. This week's theme is abundance. I speak a lot of abundance on my bountiful blog, which we read every week. And abundance has a major theme in my life. We live in Maine, which is a place of great beauty. It offers us food that we actually grow ourselves and we cook ourselves, we prepare ourselves. It offers us places to hike and uh, a strong sense of family and community. Maine is all about abundance and there is no better time of year to discuss this theme than our upcoming holiday season. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we will be speaking with Kirsten Scarcelli, who is training to be a holistic health coach with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. We will also speak with Ben Fowley of the Camden International Film Festival and Jonathan Lawrence of The Real Project. We will finish up with a conversation with Dr. Rick Small of the Good Shepherd Food Bank. Thank you for joining us this week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Podcast as we explore the theme of abundance. We have a segment we have been calling Food and Sustenance, but... My co-host Genevieve Morgan and I, we've decided we're we're going to morph this into this deep dish. Yeah, because we like to dish. We like to dish. And it's not just about what you cook. It's about what you talk about and what's going on in your life. Um, I always begin this the conversation about the deep dish segment with our locally grown foods, which you get from the Whole Foods Market in Portland. And I cannot believe my eyes because we... I asked you to do a segment about this a couple weeks ago, and you, true to your word, are sitting Ta-da! here with a yes. bunch of gourds. Yes, good gourd. <laughs> well, 
you know, a few weeks back, we had Halloween. And Halloween is sort of the classic, let's carve a pumpkin. Let's carve a, you know, here's our gourds. So this is what we do this with our children. And we carve out and get the pumpkin seeds. We roast those up. Those are full of great nutrients like zinc. We put a little, you know, full of fiber. Um, we're a little past that now. And if you still have a pumpkin left that's laying around from Halloween, then I would highly recommend that it's compost time for you but we now we have these gourds that they they last forever these gourds are like squashes for those of you who are wondering what gourds are and Jen look at all the gourds that we have yeah I I see you're picking one up that's kind of bigger than a hand but it's dark green and I mean this is one of the things that confuses me about gourds how do you choose among them so you have a variety over there well, I think about gourds, I think about sort of the the winter squash and the summer squash. The summer squash is your zucchini and your, um, well, summer squash, your yellow summer squash. These gourds are basically your winter squash kind of family. So we have a bunch of them. We have delicata, we have, um, there's butternut, there's buttercup, and... Um, and you have an acorn squash, I know that one. Uh, yes, yes, we have all kinds. And in fact, the bag that we have from Whole Foods, our recyclable bag, it says, what does it say? Can you, can you it read says, it? It uh, says, tasty select pumpkins. Right. Locally grown. Yes, first quality. So uh, Whole Foods, they, they like their gourds. Um, I believe these came from the Little River Farm here in Maine, but there's also various farms that are supplying gourds. And the nice thing about gourds is they last well, well into the fall season. I think I might have one on my counter from last year, actually. Yeah, maybe you wouldn't (laughs) want to use that one. But these gourds, it is a little hard to know um, which gourd is the best one for you to use. And this is why I kind of like to play with them. And these smaller ones, these little delicata squash, these cook up nicely, but they're a little less easy to peel. They're also smaller, so the amount of work that you put into a little squash like this is going to be significant. It's going to have a significantly less significantly less yield. I don't know if I said that right, but so some of the bigger squash, um, they're going to be a little bit less sweet, but you're going to get more bang for your buck. And it's easy to cook these, really, if you want to do it just straightforward Thanksgiving. You know, you cut them in half, you scoop out the seeds, you put them face down on a baking sheet after you put a little, you know, olive oil or maybe some spray stuff on them. And then you can, um, you know, leave them in the, I don't know, 450 degrees for an hour. I mean, it's very straightforward. Or you can flip them the other way. We actually have a recipe that we had provided through um, our website, which um, includes wild rice. You stuff it with a little wild rice and some apricots or maybe some cranberries. Um, That's sort of a pre-cooked mixture. You put a little tinfoil over the top of it, and then you have essentially a really hearty main dish. And once you roast them, you can use the roasted flesh for other things, right? Like soup and... Yes. Yeah. And I had a good conversation actually with Barbara Galino over at Whole Foods a few weeks ago about just the use of, I think she was talking about butternut squash and making butternut squash soup because we, I was talking about pumpkin soup. She said, oh, no, no, this is much easier. Use, a, use your butternut squash. And in fact, if you go to Whole Foods, there is a pre-cut butternut squash, you know, in a bag if you really just don't have the time to do it any other way. Um, and you can make a butternut squash soup. She uses a little bit of maple syrup she's talked to she has kids who are a little older now um she uses that for the sweetener and um she uses like pumpkin pie kind of spices maybe we'll have to get her recipe for it but yeah it, it sounds it, delicious yeah it's a way to get your kids to eat it and it tastes like eating a pumpkin pie and then over time you can actually decrease the amount of sweetener that you put into the sweet kind of soup and then the kids are like are left liking this squash now you mentioned zinc in the pumpkin seeds 
And I know one thing about different squash, they have very colorful flesh. And so that leads me to believe they're rich in nutrients, but I'm not exactly sure which nutrients are well, these, in squash. Yeah, beta carotene, they're pretty high in beta carotene. Anytime you have an orange or a yellow fleshed fruit or vegetable, beta carotene is sort of top amongst them. And beta carotene has been shown for, to be good for a variety of things. One of, them, one of the things that we know about is beta carotene is very important for eyesight. So this is why people always talk about eating their carrots and having good eyesight and night vision. And I think that may be a little bit of a myth, the night vision piece, but, but we know that this is good for things like um, preventing macular degeneration and just good, healthy eyesight is eating these beta carotene rich foods. This is, this is one of the things that I like about squash. Um, and, and the other thing that I like about squash and gourds and is that you can introduce it at a very young age for children. Oh, that's true, because they're mushy. Yes, it's, it's mushy. And instead of feeding your kids, you know, baby food from a jar, I mean, if you're sitting next to your child who's old enough, I'm not saying feed it to a two-week-old, but, you know, child who's old enough to eat solid foods, you can actually give them what you're eating. So baby food from a jar, it's kind of, it kind of separates out what you eat versus what your child eats. If your child sees you eating squash off a plate and then they're being fed squash off a plate, then they're going to say, oh, that's what food is. And they're going to grow up understanding that there's really no delineation between what kids and adults eat within reason. This is, um, you know, I, I enjoy going to Whole Foods and kind of wandering around and seeing what they have. Well, and we're starting to come on into the winter months, and I think there's a tendency to think that there's not much fresh out there, but clearly there's still plenty for us to indulge in and, and enjoy. Yes, there is, there is plenty of abundance, and we're happy to be talking about that today, Genevieve Morgan and I. We hope that you and your families are able to take some of these tips and put them to good use, whether it's Thanksgiving or upcoming other holidays. And um, we hope you can, we can have a positive impact on your health through our deep dishing. This segment has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market of Portland, Maine, and by the University of New England, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. We at the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast are pleased to be presenting a segment we call Wellness Innovations, which is sponsored by the University of New England. The University of New England has let us know about a very exciting event coming up at the Portland Museum of Art called Arab Spring American Winter. While the peoples of the Middle East are demanding the right to good education, health, and employment, Americans, battered by economic systems that elude most people's grasp, seem to be resigned to a future without such rights. Professor Noam Chomsky, professor of linguistics at MIT and author of Hopes and Prospects, reflects on this irony. This event takes place on December 12, 2011, and is free and open to the public. For more information, visit the UNE website, www.une.edu. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have the great pleasure of welcoming into our midst Kirsten Scarcelli. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Jen. And we're, we all feel like we kind of know you a little bit because um, there's actually some personal connections, which maybe Jen will talk about a little bit later. But I feel like I know you because I, as somebody who's really interested in food and wellness, um, I, 
you, you can always sense a kindred spirit. Let me, let me talk a little bit about who you are. So Kirsten's lifelong passion for health, nutrition, and wellness has brought her to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She's currently enrolled in the Holistic Health Coach Certification Program and will be soon working with clients to support them in reaching their health and lifestyle goals and guiding them step-by-step step to lead the best life possible. Kirsten has recently completed a certifi certification in Nordic walking, which she offers as a low-impact, full-body wellness option for clients. I also happen to know that you are, have reinvented yourself multiple times. You have owned a restaurant and bakery. You have a line of designer clothing. So you are you're a sensualist of the highest magnitude. Is that a fair <laughs> estimation? That's a very good estimation, yes. I've and had, a flexitarian. And a flexitarian. And a flexitarian. That's <laughs> my latest goal, yes. Mm -hmm. So I've had many reiterations. Of yourself, yes. yes. Which is very appropriate because today we're talking about abundance, and this is kind of our Thanksgiving-ish theme for our show. And really, abundance is about knowing what is around you and what, and it's not just food. It's, you know, the the tastes, the smells, the, you know, the touches, the things that you can sort of incorporate into your life and the people. So talk to me a little bit about this this theme of abundance and what that means to you. Well, to me, I, I actually looked it up in the dictionary. That was my first thing. And it's really, the dictionary confines us as overflowing fullness. Now, the fullness, we don't mean necessarily full with food, but full with uh, pleasure, um, how to approach people, really thinking, emphasizing the positive in your life. The glass is always half full. So focus on that. Share generously of yourself during the holidays. Those are the things that people can do to be well. We think about food when we think about Thanksgiving, but I, I think it's interesting that the first thing that you said was share generously of yourself during the holidays, not share generously of your turkey. So uh, what types of things would you recommend to people who are looking to share generously of themselves? Where do you start? Reach out to people. Um, call a friend. Call a neighbor. Um, invite them. Maybe invite them for dinner or just for a walk, for a talk. Reconnect. You know, be present. Notice what's going around yourself. I have a friend that is at, or actually spent time at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and she spoke to me about how we feed ourselves. And it isn't just about food. That's what I think is so fascinating about where you're studying currently. Absolutely. And we actually talk about that more than the secondary food. It's not really the food on our plate that nurtures us, but the primary food around us. Like, what's going on with your relationships? How are you doing in that area? Are you doing well? Or do you, do you need some improvement? Are you physically active? Do you have a spiritual life? So those are really the primary foods that feed us. So I think that's especially important during the holidays where we tend to get a little stressed, maybe a little overworked, doing too much. So take a step back, <coughs> excuse me, and really look what nurtures yourself. Because if you nurture yourself, you're there to nurture others. I have a question for both of you, since you're both well-versed and trained in nutrition. We, we, you read a lot about emotional hunger mm -hmm. and emotional mm -hmm. eating. Can, and I, I ask this actually of both of you, can emotional hunger manifest as physical hunger? Oh, absolutely, I would think. I mean, Lisa, don't you agree? 
Oh yeah, this yeah. is the, we deal. I deal with this all the time yeah. in in my practice, and that is that people will come in and actually. It, it goes both ways. It's all on the same spectrum. Mm-hmm. People will overeat because they're looking to sort of fill themselves, and they'll undereat because somehow they've sort of taught themselves to starve over time because they aren't nurturing themselves. Mm-hmm. They aren't nourishing their own spirits. And it, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. That's why I've been so fascinated by these primary, the sort of the primary. Primary food, yeah. Food. Yeah, absolutely, Jen. You know, why are you eating that tub of ice cream every night? Maybe you really need a hug or you need a different relationship. So absolutely they are connected. So what you're saying is that one of the ways you can not overindulge in food around the holiday season is to nurture yourself in other ways. So when you finally sit down at the table, you're already feeling is that sort of full? Right? Yeah, you're feeling fulled up. Uh, you can sit down, sit down a minute, appreciate your food, appreciate the people that cook the food. Uh, one of the things you can really do, um, don't beat yourself up over the holidays. If you go to a friend's house and she made a lovely meal, eat it and it will nurture you rather than saying, now how many calories are in our pie or something? Have small portions, but enjoy it and thank whoever made it for you. Maybe you made it for yourself. Who knows? I think that's an important point because there is a little stress associated with the holidays just in general. That yeah. for, the, for a lot of people, the holidays are a time of getting back together with maybe family members that they might have been in disagreement with or mm-hmm. estranged from or, you know, there's some sort of feelings that have been held on to. So we like to think of the holidays as being wonderful and abundant, and but this can be really stressful. Are there things that you suggest to people who are going back into a somewhat stressful situation to help them deal with their hunger? Well, first of all, Never go to a party or to go hungry. So physically feed yourself as well. You know, uh, drink lots and lots of water, stay hydrated. So when you arrive at an event or gathering, you're not arriving there famished. So you want to take care of the, your physical well-being. But also maybe take a step back this year and say, how can I approach that person or the situation maybe a little differently? How do I feel about myself approaching this person? So if there's a little tension, look within yourself and say, well, maybe there's a different way to approach this rather than saying, you know, that Uncle Bob, he's always saying these things to me. So just look at it a little differently. Or in my family, the women always ask you how much you weigh. Yes. <laughs> what? I, this is me over here being slightly shocked. Is that uh, that would be very so stressful? Much, yeah. um, it's extremely stressful. Oh my goodness. Well, you could just say you don't know. You don't really where. I mean, it's like, or just turn it around and just say, well, just change the subject. You know, it's say, just I weigh as much as I need to be weighing, or something so, like that. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, don't. Just because somebody asks doesn't mean you have to give them an answer. Well, that's a good point. Boundaries, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you think of abundance, you think of a cornucopia and this overflowing plate of things. But maybe part of abundance is good boundaries Absolutely. And that was actually one of the points I wanted to bring up. You don't have to go to every gathering that you're invited to. Send a nice card and say thank you and... I will donate to the food bank or make a donation. And thank you for inviting me, but I just couldn't make it this year.
We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari Salon, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style, located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook or go to akaribeauty.com to learn more about their new boutique and medispa. And by Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Do you think that there has been too much emphasis placed on the things we shouldn't be eating? Because I, we talked about this in a previous show where I was, I've been with a group of, I have a 15-year-old. We have a group of girls that came over to our house, and one of them didn't, didn't eat wheat, and the other one didn't eat wheat or sugar, and the other one didn't eat wheat or sugar or milk. Do you think maybe we've gotten a little extreme in our setting of boundaries? And if so, why? Well, there, first of all, there's an overabundance of food supply in, in our daily lives, so we don't even know anymore what's normal and what feeds us. I like to think of it as adding on and crowding out. So the things that don't work or that maybe are, quote, quote, bad foods, and they're really, other than, you know, your coffee, your soda, and you know, high fructose, whatever, there's no bad food in the sense Whatever works for you works for you, but sort of, you know, add on the good things. So don't make it about what doesn't work. Make it about what feels good, what nourishes your body. And this isn't to say that some people don't have a milk allergy, a wheat Absolutely. allergy. A, or, and it's not to disrespect the choice not to eat meat, for example, exactly. which and for social reasons or health reasons. It's just that what you're saying is find other ways to sort of bring things into and put on your plate rather than always saying no. Right. That, that's a good point, though, actually, what you guys are saying. Uh, if I'm hosting a, a holiday gathering or going to a holiday gathering and I have a food allergy or I've decided to uh, not eat a certain kind of food, how do you go about that gracefully? And how do you, as a host, honor those people's choices without getting exasperated? Because it can be exasperating when you have five guests and four of them have different food food preferences. Well, usually, I, as a host, I would ask my guests, do you have any al- allergies? Because like uh, Lisa said, there are true allergies out there and would be harmful for people to eat that. Uh, put a variety of your food out, and then I think it's up to the individual to just say, thank you, but I prefer not to eat that, and just take it as that. So if we, as in my holiday situations, tend to feel a little overwhelmed and stressed, uh, are there any practical solutions you have to not only feeding ourselves well and nourishing ourselves, but just taking better care of ourselves? Well, a couple things. Sit a few moments quietly every day and just take a moment to reflect and breathe. Stay very well hydrated with water. So throughout the day, you want to drink as much water as necessary for yourself. And a couple things that I like to do, especially during the holidays, is like a hot uh, 
washcloth scrub. What you do, you fill the, t uh, the t uh, sink up with hot water and maybe use essential oil in it that you like and just really give yourself a little scrub down starting at your toes all the way up all the little crevices and what it does if you do it in the morning it energizes you if you do it at night it will relax you just opens up your pores and your energy flows so that's one way to take care of yourself sounds great I'm I'm interested in this Nordic walking because you're talking about sort of crowding your plate with good things is this Nordic walking sort of crowding your life with good activities is that sort of the not crowding, but just putting good stuff in your life. So yeah, maybe adding on, I think. Adding yes, on. Yes, Crowding out the bag. Yes, yeah, okay. adding on the good. For me, it, I love it. And I walk by Jen's house every morning. <laughs> I see you. I can. You don't she know can. I'm watching you. But. <laughs> right, and this is one of the personal connections we were alluding to. Yes, you know, in Maine, so we're a very small state. So. It's a very small state, and that's one of the pleasures. Um, you get to know a lot of great people. Uh, then for me, the Nordic walking is the best exercise. Nordic walking uh, is a form of fitness walking uh, and cross-country skiing. So you walk with two specially designed poles that have rubber tips on it. And what it does, it engages your whole body. So it's a total low-impact workout. So you're walking your upper body, you're working like 90% of your muscles you have increased uh, heart rate, uh, you're using more oxygen, so there are lots of benefits. And also for people, I always say, if you can hold two poles and you can walk, you can Nordic walk. So it's really uh, good if you have some back or hip or joint, it's very gentle on that. You might be a little overweight and just starting to want to lose weight, great way to start. I'm intrigued by all that you have to offer. How can people reach you? Right now, best thing is by phone or email. A website is soon to come. So we can put your information on the Dr. Yes. Lisa website, mm -hmm. and people can then communicate you with right. you that way. And I have to say, I'm currently still a student, but come February, I'll be able to do this um, your certificate. Yes, yeah. thank you. I was going to say for real, but yeah. <laughs> that's not very and good. And what is the name of your company? Uh, Nourish Yourself Now. And your certificate is from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition out of New York. That's correct, yes. Kirsten, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you for coming in and talking with us about the theme of abundance, and we wish you a very abundant set of upcoming holidays. Thank you, Dr. Lisa, and I wish it to both of you and to all the listeners out there. Thank you very much. Today on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have two very special guests with us, one of whom has driven a bit of a distance to be here. Um, I met both of these individuals several weeks ago in Camden as part of a few events that were quite uh, exciting and interesting, considering this is Midcoast Maine. So I, I can't wait to have Genevieve Morgan interview them as part of Maine Magazine Minutes, um, Jonathan Lawrence and Ben Fowley. Hi there, guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, um, I'm thrilled to meet you. Actually, I'm meeting you for the first time here, but I've been reading about you in the Maine Magazine for about two years because we've been following you closely. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna read to our listeners a little bit about you because it's sort of unbelievable how much you've managed to accomplish in your brief 30 years on the planet. But here goes. Well, Ben, you are the founder and director of the Camden International Film Festival, an annual documentary film festival that takes place each fall along the coast of Maine. The festival has been recognized as one of the top 25 festivals for documentaries in the world. And you're also the founder of Points North Forum a conference component which runs concurrently with the festival and includes participants from HBO, A&E, Indie Films, BBC, PBS Sundance, and the Tribeca Film Institute. John, you are part of the REAL project, spelled R-E-E-L, and which is dedicated to connecting people and transforming lives through art, technology, information, and opportunity. You're also a photographer, a video artist, a visual artist, and a teacher at Maine Media Workshops in Rockport. So the two of you told me that you grew up together in Camden. And you have been bringing the world to Camden. You have been photographing the world and bringing it back to Maine. So I want to want you to talk about how you got inspired to do this. So we both grew up um, in the Mid-Coast area, and we're both skateboarders. And actually, that's how we hung out with skateboarding and snowboarding. And I've continued um, doing that for a while. I, my previous life was I was a professional snowboarder and I loved traveling and kind of went all over the place and did some fun things and then burnt out of snowboarding at a kind of not young age but at 22 and decided to come back to Maine and kind of refocus life and always had a camera with me and my passion was photography so I'd gone to when the when Maine Media had their college program, I did their two-year college program there, and then kind of catapulted myself into a career in photography, and but still with that love and passion of kind of seeing the world, but instead of being someone that's just experiencing it, it was you know being a part of it in a different way of capturing it and letting other other people see the visions that you see out in the in the rest of the world. So that's that's my my story. How about you, Ben? I, I uh, as John said, I grew up in Camden. Um, we did spend a lot of time skateboarding, snowboarding. He was much better at snowboarding than I was. I kind of had dreams of becoming a professional snowboarder, but ended up uh, playing a lot of music and going to school in Boston for film. And after a lot of touring, realized that um, living in a van was was not something I really wanted to to do for the rest of my life. So. Um, at the same point, I've been going to a lot of film festivals and, and focusing on documentary and, and was trying to find a way to get into the industry without moving to L.A. and, um, you know, spend three or four or five, ten years interning and, and kind of starting from the ground um, ground up. I really wanted to find a way to get back to Maine and, and get back to a community that I think was, you know, this is 2005, so the creative economy was just kind of being talked about or the, the idea, the, the, the test of what is now. I think a very successful program was um, just bubbling up and seemed like a good opportunity to go back to a, a community that was supportive and, and, and try and put an event together, which has now become the Camden Film Festival. Um, just celebrated our seventh year about three weeks ago. So wow. um, it's been nice to be able to, to, to grow professionally, but also have some connection to a community that I really respect. And Well, there, there's a lot of talk about young people leaving Maine, but, but the two of you have just spoken about how you had this deep compulsion to come back to Maine, and not really too far after graduation. I mean... Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's it, uh, many factors that play into that, but I think, um, you know, for me, it, I have so many great connections from growing up in such a small community 
uh, that I really consider, you know, people like John Lawrence and our friend Jake Dowling, who has a gallery in Rockland, um, really close friends, closest friends you have. So obviously when you're trying, when you're young and trying to figure out what you what you want to do with your life and you need support and you need, um, you know, help from, from many, many different people, talented people, you obviously can go to a place you, where you have the most, you know, the most support. And, and for me, that was Camden. And if you look at our organization, for instance, you'll see that everyone involved really I've known, you know, for 15 to 20 years. It's probably one of the most local organizations, I think, in the entire state. So um, in that sense, it's really refreshing to see uh, whether people live here or not, they're still committed to, you know, the long-term vision of, of the Midcoast area. So, Can you speak to what is it about our state that kind of feeds artists? Whether they end up staying, leaving, coming back, even the ones that leave tend to come back and continue to, to create here. I think it's you know a combination of a couple of different things. I you know for one, even you know I think a lot of people look to Portland and, and the whole thing that's going on here when you're when you're removed from this state, and they think of the whole food scene. You go to Brooklyn and everyone's leaving Brooklyn to have kids and, and open up a new restaurant in Portland. But I think it's the approach to craftsmanship, and that's like across all different art forms. I mean, my for instance, my. I guess my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is a, is a carpenter, and he would never consider himself an artist. But I mean, the work that he makes is, you know, hands down. You, you don't see that in many places. So there's a real, I think it's the approach towards how you, um, or how you approach your craft, whatever it is, and, and the uh, the desire to, to um, really, you know, spend the time necessary to understand what you're doing and do it at a really high level. Um, and also the, 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 the other concept is the, the lack of distractions. So mm-hmm. I, would, I think, you know, in cities you have, you know, point. everything needs to be done quickly. You, you know, when it's, it's a faster paced environment, you want to get here to there. You don't want to waste time with letting someone spend, you know, two weeks, three or two months on your kitchen or whatever. But here it's just the, the concept is quality over uh, anything else, you know, so. The lack of distractions, I think, is a, a huge one where, and also just the, in so many ways, kind of the ease, not ease of life, and it's an easy living in Maine, but just kind of, there's nothing, nothing keeping you from, if you want to just go and paint for a day or make, make work, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy just to do so. There's no one pulling you away. You don't have to take the train to buy your paint supplies and then take the train back, carry plywood on the subway. You know, it's not this whole mission. I mean, if you if you get inspired, you can kind of go get the materials you need quickly, and it's just also an inspiring um, landscape. And well, and John, you were talking about how it was important for you to be a little rural, so mm-hmm. nature must play a part in that as well. It does, and uh, I think it's nice. You know, when you have that ability to leave the state and see, you know, other cities, other towns, other places, you know, other countries, but then you know you realize that where you live is one of the most beautiful, remarkable places. And I mean, my father said it to me growing up when I was living out in Colorado and he came and he said, oh, it's really beautiful out here. You must love the mountains. I said, I do. And he goes, what are you going to do? Because you're born in the mid coast. You're never going to be able to leave. And I said, yes, I will. And then I found myself back there and with this kind of thing where I'm Every day I'm like, he was so right. He was yeah. so right. I'm not going to be able to leave this area. Don't you hate it when your parents end up being right? They're always right. They're always <laughs> My right. My children hate that. So, so, yeah. Yeah. so They're so right. And you just got to you know, brush it aside until you're older. And you just tell them. You're like, you're right. <laughs> we'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsor. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. 
maker of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. Ben, every year you get an abundance of submissions, and you have to pick the films you're going to exhibit. John, every day you're seeing, you're bombarded with images, and you have to pick the one that you're going to capture and show to your audience. So it's similar and different, and I'm, I'm wondering about your process, how you, how you both, I'm sure it's individual. Uh, I think, you know, talking about abundance, it's really tough. I mean, I probably take, on average, at least five photos a day with my iPhone and upload them to my blog. Um, sometimes I don't feel inspired by what's around me, or maybe it's the mood that's different, but, you know, I think for me, the outlet that's helped me with, you know, kind of visually separating things is, you know, kind of the mobile upload and the blog and kind of just keeping this ongoing running thing, you know, feeding the monster content. So, you know, you're always thinking visually, seeing visually, sharing, getting feedback, what's, what people are responding to, what they're not responding to, allows you to kind of keep focus on your craft, but at the same time, not feel the need to be really technical sometimes with, you know, your big DSLR and going out there and feeling the need to be, well, I need to make this project happen right now. Because there's the simple things, the everyday things that you see, that you respond to. They might not be the ones that you put in a gallery, but they're the ones that, you know, it's that light that's kind yeah, of coming like in. Yeah, Yeah, it's that, that emotional response to some kind of, um, some scene that you, you might look at or just something that's kind of funny or humorous or... You know, the yeah, world's find the jewels. Yeah, yeah, those great little things. And how about you, Ben? Well, I think you know it's funny because the, the way we approach it is is so much different. And what I love about John and how he works is just the the you know the the amount of images that he he produces, um, and uh, you know how how it all you know it kind of washes over you. But then you know every once in a while you get this one image that you just can't get out of your head. Um, and I've always respected the the uh, you know the sincerity to how he approaches. I couldn't do it. I mean, for me, like my my approach is is um, I kind of go off the radar for like nine months and sit in my sit in my apartment and watch three to four hundred movies a year and don't really talk to anyone about them. Um, constantly looking for for twenty of them that uh, I think will you know will will play well or will work well. And, um, and you know, for better or for worse, I'm not sure if that's the that's the right approach. I think. Well, I don't think there is a right. Yeah, wrong. yeah, no, it's just, you know, it's just interesting to see how because you both have to do the same mm -hmm, thing in your careers, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. just in a very different way. Yeah, it's, you know, we're both in you know the visual field. Um, I think uh, I consider myself, uh, you know, the, the festival is many different things, but I do consider myself a programmer, and a programmer is just just someone who is trying to construct a you know a. A program, a curator, uh, a curator of sorts. Um, so the festival, for instance, it's a combination. Our our, our program is consistent of uh, an open call for submissions, which we get about three to four hundred a year from all over the world. And then I travel a lot to other festivals and and get to handpick certain ones that I think will do well. Um, lately, when I first started the project, I was I always want to see as many films as I could in with audiences, and I think that's changing uh, as you get a little older. Um, you realize that there's many different ways that audiences can um, manipulate your your connection to the to the work. So, uh, in a you know in a positive or negative way, and I think you know what I have here in Camden is the ability to program whatever that whatever I want, and there's very few options like that. 
um, we're very lucky in the sense that we don't have the the stipulations that other larger uh, you know international or huge corp, you know corporate based festivals have where they you know their programming has to be very um, uh, you know they have a strict kind of guidelines that they have um, this year for instance we screened some work that was very challenging and um, you know you had people that uh, didn't quite know what to make of it. There was a lot of lines blurring between what is reality, what is fiction, is what is documentary, what you know. And um, you know, I like the concept of, of trying to throw as much as I can at four, you know people in four days and have them kind of like hopefully leave with their head spinning, having a good time, but coming back to some of the concepts that that you know that are integral to the, the program that I put together. So Right, so they walk away actually talking about what's going right. on. Whether they they hate it or love it, they have right. a strong reaction. Yeah, and you know, and the, 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 the greatest cool. compliment I can get is from someone that said, geez, I really didn't like that movie, but I'm still thinking about it a year later. Right. Or whatever it is, you know. And that's, that, I think, is something that artists would like with their work as well. <laughs> yeah. So, John, tell me a little bit about Main Media Workshops. Um, <clears throat> Main Media Workshops is kind of a fantastic little retreat. Um, I love watching students come in there, uh, no matter what age they are, and entering into some place that is definitely going to change their life in some way, shape, or form, uh, transform my life. And I love being a teacher there and allowing people to get that that aha moment where all of a sudden they're just they click and they get something in their head that they've never gotten before, and you know just the ability to share ideas with people and allow them to, you know, just kind of break the box down that they've built up around themselves, perhaps. I mean, I teach a, I, I used to teach a teaching class, so teaching teachers, and it was always really fun to teach that class, and you see veteran teachers that have been teaching for years and years and years, and they've gone through the whole black and white, darkroom thing, their schools have cut that because the financial costs are now on digital, they've never really had a background in digital, and you know you start talking about new concepts new ideas that you can do that you know that teach students you know all these different kind of narrative threads or workflow kind of threads and you see them kind of like their eyes and their brains just start to swell and you know by the time friday comes around you know they're just you know this hot air balloon just kind of floating and it's 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 a it's a great feeling you know to watch people kind of have that transition i'm sure ben feels that you know when people walk away from the film festival and they've had their life kind of something impact and it's no longer going to be be the same you know it's they've they've been hit by by some kind of thought or a question so for our listeners out there if they would like to make a submission to the Camden Film Festival or come take a workshop at Main Media Workshops how do how do they go about doing that uh, well, for the festival, it's an it's an open call for submissions, which it opens up this year on December first, and will be um, open for submissions through about July first. Um, it is a uh, kind of a rolling fee based on when you submit. There's a few different deadlines, but um, we do encourage um, you know as many main filmmakers, um, and experimental filmmakers, documentary filmmakers to submit because we do have uh, a thing called the Made in Maine Showcase, which is about two and a half days of, of really amazing work that we've seen over the past seven years really, uh, really continue to develop and grow. And, we, you know, one of the main things about the festival is we really want to open, you know, professional opportunities and doors for the filmmakers working here regionally. Perfect. So That's great to know about. And, John, what about Maine Media Workshops? If you're interested in taking a workshop at Maine Media, it's uh, mainmedia.edu. And you can either download the the catalog in PDF form or browse everything online. And there's 
a lot of different workshops. So, you know. Great. So come, we encourage all of you out there to check it out. Yeah, at least just browse, browse and get inspired. Well, I think you guys have blazed a, a trail. And I think all of your efforts will benefit all of us right now, but also all those upcoming visual artists and movie makers and writers and storytellers and screenwriters that are growing up in our state right now. So thank you both for coming on for the Main Magazine Minutes. It's been such a pleasure. And where can we find out more about you? Well, um, you can find out more about the festival and and, and what we do at uh, camdenfilmfest.org. That's um, fest, not festival. And you can find me jonathanlawrence.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E. And you can find out more about The Real Project there, too, which we didn't really talk about, but it's pretty fascinating. Or you can find out about The Real Project just by going to therealproject.org, R-E-E-L, and you can find out all about the uh, Artist Giving Back program that we've been working on and kind of the continuing work in the Congo. And And you're both on Facebook. And we're both on Facebook. And we will link through the Dr. Lisa website, so there should be many avenues which will get people to where you are. Wonderful. Thank you. To read more about Ben Fowley, the Camden International Film Festival, Maine Media Workshops, and Jonathan Lawrence, please visit us online at themainmag.com. Our November-December 2011 issue features new articles on other inspiring artists and entrepreneurs living in our state. Subscribe at mainmag.com or pick up an issue at your local newsstand. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we read a quote from the book, Our Daily Tread. This week's quote is from Winston Churchill. You may make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. The organization Safe Passage is all about giving. This was how, this was, this organization was founded by my late college classmate Hanley Dunning, and it is the organization which I will be visiting this week in Guatemala City. If you're interested in learning more about the organization Safe Passage, go to safepassage.org or visit the islandportpress.com website and buy a copy of Our Daily Tread, which is a perfect gift for this time of year. And in fact, there is a special holiday promotion. You'll find that Our Daily Tread is discounted for a very short time so that you can buy as many copies as you would like to give back to your own family and friends. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible by the support of the following generous sponsors. Thomas Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton, an Ameriprise Platinum Financial Services practice in Yarmouth, Maine. Dreams can come true when you take the time to invest in yourself. Learn more at AmeriprizeAdvisors.com and by Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we feature a segment we call Give Back in recognition of the fact that wellness is not just about the individual, but about the wellness of the community and the world at large. And in our Give Back segment, we invite guests that talk about the ways that they or their organizations are giving back. Today's guest is Rick Small, and Genevieve Morgan and I are happy to have you in the studio, Rick. Good to Thank see you. you. Thank you. Hi, Rick. It's exciting Hi. to have you here, especially right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like this is a pretty. This is our um, abundance themed show, so it's very appropriate that you're here because uh, you are the CEO and president of the largest hunger relief organization in Maine, which is the Good Shepherd Food Bank. This organization provides for those at risk of hunger by soliciting and distributing surplus food to more than 600 partner agencies. Since 1981, the food bank has partnered with individuals, businesses, and farmers to alleviate hunger and build community relationships. In 2010, the food bank distributed 12 million pounds of food to families and individuals throughout Maine. Rick, this is impressive. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just me. So there's a lot of people working at this all over the state. Um, and the agencies, the people that actually actually feed the meals or pass it out to to those who need uh, are numberless. They're, they work long time uh, and they're all volunteers so my hat goes to those people in each local community that we supply and we supply nearly every community in the state 12 million pounds uh, that's a lot of food for uh, that means there are a lot of hungry people out there 12 million pounds is a big chunk you, you you know I can't imagine how big a pile that would make but it's a lot of food and uh, yeah, it is a lot of food, except it's a lot less than what we really need. We probably well, need twice that. And, and, twice. and that was 2010. Yeah. It's 2011, and Genevieve and I, we talked to Mark Swan from Preble Street. He said that the numbers of people in need are increasing dramatically. Has they that are. also been your observation? Absolutely. Uh, Mark's right on the money. Uh, we've seen anywhere between a 30 and 50% increase each year for at least the last three years of those number of people coming to Mark's establishments and many others uh, around the state. Uh, it's, and some of these people are the ones you, who never expected to be there. Uh, they are the ones that we used to call the middle class. And I'll tell you how this works. Mainers uh, are a bit stubborn sometimes. And uh, they could be your neighbors, these folks. Now, they have to keep the house because they got a worse problem if they don't. They have to keep the cars because most of them are working uh, and have children. Everything looks good in your neighborhood, but it might not be. Uh, and, and about those Mainers, they're not going to come next door and tell you about it. So, you know, that's a situation that's, that's pretty common around this state right now. Well, and it's interesting because um, a couple of shows ago, we had Major Major General Bill Libby of the Maine National Guard and also Chaplain Andy Gibson, and they both said the same thing. Mainers are stubborn, and they don't necessarily want to talk about their problems. Um, and they were talking about military Mainers and military families. But I think that there is this sense of, I should be able to do this on my own. I should be able to be, you know, self-sufficient. But this, you know, sometimes we all need a little bit of help. That's right. Well, and the thing about food is you have to eat it every day. Yeah. And you have to eat it several times a day. It's That's not like a donation of a blanket or a, that can be reused. That's true. And uh, you need a constant source. That's not available for a lot of uh, adults, but even our children. And in fact, the, uh, the children of the state are in real trouble. 24.6% uh, of all the kids in this state don't have enough food. That's that's one in four kids 
That's shocking. Yeah, it is. And that's what they call food insecurity, where they... Food insecurity, yeah. We don't have hunger anymore. It's, it's <laughs> called food insecurity in the United States. Uh, and, and what that means is uh, there are actually two levels of food insecure insecurity. One is um, you either don't know where your next meal is coming from, or you don't know where the next three or four meals are coming from which to me doesn't make much difference uh, and if you've ever been in that situation and many of us have been if you've ever been in the situation where you don't know where the next meal is coming from trust me you can think of nothing else nothing else it, it is survival and uh, it is important that you have food and when you don't have it it's uh, it's an awful awful thing schools and other places around the, the state have tend to have holiday food drives. But what you're really saying is that this is a constant need throughout the year. Oh, oh, absolutely. So in addition to food drives and donating food, what else can people do to help you do your job? Well, you know, what's really nice is when you do a food drive and you bring us um, pounds and even tons of canned goods and non-perishable items that we can distribute. That's wonderful. But if you had to go to the store to buy those things and bring them to us, here's uh, a, another thought. For every dollar that you bring us, we can turn that into $8 worth of, of food. So it may feel better to go to the store, spend the money, and bring the food to us. But if you bring the dollars to us, we can multiply that by eight. So it would be much more helpful to raise the money and give us, in fact, why don't you do both? Bring us the canned <laughs> things. I like that things. approach. Yeah, bring Talk us the canned abundance. stuff and right. bring us the money too. So that okay. works. That works. Uh, how can people find out more about your organization? Um, this stands for Good Shepherd Food Bank, gsfb.org. You can go that way. You can call our, our main offices in Auburn, uh, and the number is uh, 782-3554. Want me to repeat that? Yes, you do. 782-3554. We can tell you've done this before. I have. Yeah, yes. Once or twice. Well, we appreciate your coming in and talk doing a, talking to us. Um, you're doing good work. You're bringing in the abundance. You're redistributing it. We wish you all the best with this. Thank you. And I, I hope that we are able to grow our own and feed our own in the very near future. I believe we can. Thank you. Every week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast, we conclude our show by reading from the Bountiful blog. I began this blog in 2008 as a means of learning how to feed myself physically. And as I've said before, it became a means of feeding myself emotionally and spiritually, a means of nourishing myself. One of the themes that I discuss on an ongoing basis, which is related to the theme of abundance, is love. This blog post from May 22, 2011, is about that very theme. Easy it is to love some people, much harder to love others. Many of us pride ourselves in our ability to be loving. We are generous in offering our affection to those around us who we believe may be deserving, our friends, our family members, our close colleagues. Yet when we are faced with those who challenge us, we turn away. And I must sheepishly count myself among this we, justify this behavior by reminding ourselves of how loving we already are. We tell ourselves that we are merely preserving our love to make it more readily available for the more worthy people in our lives. 
but love in its highest form is incapable of being fully spent. It is ever abundant. Each of us has an infinite capacity to care for others. Love, as it turns out, is a choice. We may offer or withhold it. One of the world's great spiritual leaders suggested that we love our neighbors, and in fact, love our neighbors as ourselves. This gives us some latitude depending upon how we define neighbor. Using the literal definition, a neighbor is one with whom we live in close proximity. Taking a more global approach, it is possible to understand that all humans are our neighbors, every single one. It is not having love to give that stymies us. It is giving the love that we have. Loving, whether easy or hard, is ever possible. Because love, whether we realize it or not, is ever abundant. Read more posts about love, abundance, and other themes on bountiful-blog.com. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we discoursed on the theme of abundance. We began with our discussion on feeding ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, and being a part of something bigger, being emotionally connected and nourishing those around us and ourselves in our discussion with Kirsten Scarcelli. We continue the theme of abundance with Ben Fowley of the Camden International Film Festival and Jonathan Lawrence of Real, as we brought in the notion that Maine is a state of great abundance, of great talent, of great beauty. And we came back again around to the idea of nurturing ourselves and others with Dr. Rick Small of the Good Shepherd Food Bank. Ultimately, all of this is about love. It's about loving ourselves enough to feed ourselves physically and emotionally. It's about loving those around us, as difficult as it may seem. It's about giving what we can, giving what we have, giving who we are, and being happy to do so. I thank you for listening this week and every week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us online at drlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m., or streaming WLOBradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org.